Let's pray for a minute together. Father, we are so grateful that you do speak to us. We're so thankful that your Holy Spirit takes your word and helps us to understand it and drives it into our hearts that we might know what it is that you ask of us. We thank you for these times and we can come apart and we can hear your word taught. And we're just asking this morning that we would hear your voice. Father, please say what you want to say, that we might be the people you are calling us to be. In Christ's name, amen. It was 2 a.m. and Alex Bowen was waiting patiently at the counter of Waffle House to make his order. He stood there for 10 minutes. And finally, he decided to go around the counter and see what was going on. He found the lone employee who was, quote-unquote, on duty that night, fast asleep in the back. So he decided to busy himself to make his own order. See, Alex was really craving a double Texas bacon cheesesteak melt. At every step of the process, he took a selfie to show what he was doing, including when he paid for his sandwich at the end. After he left the restaurant, he emailed his pictures to the Waffle House customer service line. Uh, Waffle House emailed him back and thanked him for his honesty and even complimented him for his skills, but warned against doing it again, uh, citing safety concerns. So what can we learn from this incident? Well, what we learn is if you really want a double Texas bacon cheesesteak melt, you can probably figure it out. The other thing that we learn is sometimes in life, we have to take action. Now, I know that this crisis is frustrating to all of us. It's affected everyone's lives. I know that a lot of people have gotten ill or know someone who has, and I know that that many people have died, and this is real devastation. But my concern for us is that if we stay in this place too long, that we could be lulled to sleep. My concern is that if we stay here too long, we can get lazy uh, physically and spiritually. Some of you may have heard people joking that COVID-19 stands for the 19 pounds that we're all going to gain during quarantine because we're all eating more than we should and probably not moving around as much as we should. Um, But I think it is incredibly important that we do not use this stoppage in normal life to ignore some of the things that need to take place in our lives, some of the things that need to be cared for. I don't want us to ignore the reality of our hearts and lives. Now, I believe with all my heart that God is still at work. God is at work in this world, and he desires to be at work in our hearts. I want to share a little graphic that I've been thinking about over the past couple of weeks, and it goes a little bit like this. Head, heart, home, church, community. I think there's a flow there. And we start first with the head. We need to be taught. We need to listen. We need to learn. We need to grow. We need to understand. And then that information needs to trickle down into our hearts. We need to believe it. We need to grasp it. We need to trust it. And then we need to do it. We start in our homes 
caring for the people that are closest to us, and then we move out into our churches, and then eventually out into our communities. Now, the Christ follower's calling is to love God and to love others and to be constantly growing in our understanding and our consistency of this. Now, that passage, love God, love others, is found in all the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at it today in Matthew 22. And I want to just give you a little bit of background here. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were two religious groups within the Jewish culture, and they were experts in the law. They studied it backwards and frontwards. And what they had determined was that there were 613 laws in what God had given Moses. And one of the things that they love to do is to categorize those laws. And they had them separated into positive, the things you should do, and negative, the things that you should not do. They also categorized them into heavy laws and light laws. In other words, these are more important, these are not quite as important. And so when we come to this passage of Scripture, what we have is a group of the Pharisees who are coming to Jesus, and they want to ask him a question. You see, among these folks, there was always a debate. What's the most important law? We have 613 of them. Some of them are heavy. Some of them are light. But which is the most important? So they decided to ask Jesus, and what they were really looking for was an opportunity to trip him up. And so we come to this passage of Scripture. It's Matthew 22. I'm going to read verses 36 through 39 for you, okay? Teacher, the spokesman said, which is the great commandment in the law? And he, that is Jesus, said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is our call. And Jesus says, these are the two most important things. Love God, love others. So first of all, let's talk about love God. How do we grow in our understanding and consistency of this? Now, if you listened last week to the service, uh, you know that I was talking about Psalm 91. And one of the things that we saw in the very first verse of Psalm 91 was a psalmist instructing us, encouraging us to go to the secret place of the Most High. So as we were thinking about that, and as I've been thinking about it over this past week, I've been asking myself, how do I develop the secret place? How do I develop my place of intimate communication with God? Last week, we talked about the fact that it's progressive. Uh, it is a process. But here's what doesn't contribute to that process of developing my intimacy with God. And that is a, an empty ritualistic fulfillment of duties. Just going through the motions of what I think God wants from me doesn't contribute to that intimacy and that communication. Now, what I want you to know about God, uh, Jesus' response to the Pharisees when he said, you shall love the, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's actually part of something that the Jews called the Shema. Now, the Shema was recited by faithful practicing Jews twice every day. It was a prayer. 
and they would quote it in the morning, and then they would quote it in the evening. Some of those who are especially devout would build, make these tiny wooden boxes. They were actually called phylacteries, and they would put these boxes on their foreheads. They would take a band and tie it around their forehead, and they would take another one, and they would put it on their right hand, and they would wrap the cords around their arm, and they would walk around with tiny parchments in these boxes that had the Shema written on it as a way to indicate uh, that they truly believe this. Now, What's interesting to me is that when they ask Jesus that question, what Jesus is really saying here is, you already know what the most important thing is. You quote it twice a day. Some of you walk around with it written on a little box on your hand. You know what this means. Now, why does that matter? It matters because I want you to understand that just because you have some knowledge in your head does not mean that you have it in your heart. The Pharisees had all of the head knowledge that anyone could ever hope for, but it was not in their hearts. Now, I want to talk for a minute about the word love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The Greek language is incredibly precise and specific, and there are several words in the Greek language for love. One of them is the word phileo, and that kind of love means brotherly kindness or brotherly affection. Uh, if you know the city of Philadelphia is called the city of brotherly love, that's literally what that word means in Greek. Philadelphia means city of brotherly love. Now, the implication in the word phileo about brotherly love is that it's an emotional connection. It's tender affection. What that means is it can come and go. Now, I have two brothers, and I know what brotherly love is. Brotherly love is sometimes I love those guys, and sometimes I want to smack those guys. If you have children, you probably know what I mean. That's what he's talking about there. Now, another word in the Greek language for love is the word eros. And eros is descriptive of the love, the intimate physical love that exists between a man and a woman. That word is actually never used in the New Testament, but it is part of the Greek language. The third word for love that's very common, it's very common in the Bible, is the word agapeo. And the word agapeo carries with it the idea of a conscious, willful choice. That's the word that is used, that Jesus uses here in Matthew 22, when he says, love the Lord your God. Agapeo. Make the choice to love God regardless of your emotions, regardless of what's going on around you. Love God as an act of your will. This kind of love says, I'm going to love not because of what I gain, but because of what I can give. This kind of love chooses to pursue the relationship because it is right and true not necessarily because it's beneficial. So love the Lord your God in this way. Make the conscious, willful choice to pursue a relationship with him. Now, this is important because God's desire, when he says love the Lord your God, God's desire is never for what a person has. His desire is always for that person's love, for that person's devotion, for that person's commitment. 
And we need to be careful that we are understanding our love for God in that way. Now, there's a hard truth here that we need to talk about. When we are understanding love as a willful choice, we need to think about this. We rarely ever willingly choose to love God in this way, unfortunately. Can you think about a time in your life when you loved God, but you loved him because you were seeking his blessing or because you wanted God to care for you? Think about all the times in your life, and in mine too, when we've come to God and we've skipped right over the praise, we've skipped right over the gratitude and the thanksgiving, and we've gone right to what we want. God, please, you've got to do this. You've got to intervene this way. Now, God does want his children to come to him, but often that's primary in our hearts and minds, isn't it? We don't come to this kind of love willingly. Often we come to this kind of love when we are facing pain, when we have difficulty, when we have suffering, it sometimes takes that to capture our attention and help us to understand how desperately we need God, how desperately we need that secret place of communion, of intimate communication with God. Now, let me just share this with you. I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of days. When the pain comes, we have a choice to make. We can, every day of our lives, we can choose to draw closer to God or we can choose to turn away from God. Pain can drive us to him or drive us away. You have to choose. Now, some of you, uh, I guess I don't know for a fact, there's been so many of you that I haven't seen and I'm praying for you, but my fear is that some of you, because of everything that's been happening around us, might be looking at this and saying, Hey, you know, this this isn't so bad. No church for six to eight weeks. You know, maybe some of you have have not been watching. You haven't been listening. You haven't been reading the blogs online. Or maybe you haven't even picked up your Bible. I don't know. Um, I'm fearful that there may be some folks, when we are able to gather again together, that don't come back. And then others of you are going through all of this and you're dealing with everything and you're saying, wow, now I'm, I'm just more aware than ever of how much I need God. You choose. You have to choose how you will respond every day of your life to the things that are happening around you and what that does in your love for God. However you choose, do it sincerely. God is not interested in our empty words. He's not interested in our rituals. He wasn't interested in, in the Pharisees carrying around those little boxes with words written on them. He was interested in their hearts. And as you progressively, consistently make the choice to draw closer to God every day, choice after choice, you will find that you are closer to God being the center of your life. You will find that you come face to face with his power and love and his holiness. You will find that you are reading the things that he has written. You are listening to his spirit. You are praying for direction. You are asking for wisdom. You are making better decisions. And you begin to see him answer you. And your life begins to change. And friends, what's happening at that point is that the truth is migrating 
from your head to your heart. Remember our graphic? It's going from your head to your heart. And this intimate connection, this interaction, that is your secret place. That's that place that only you and God share because you have made a conscious, willful choice to place God at the center of your life. Now, last week, we said that this intimacy with God brings freedom from fear. And what I want you to understand in the context of what we're talking about here today is that the security and the confidence that we gain by placing God at the center of our lives, by understanding his love and his provision for us, that security and confidence gives us the ability to move out and be generous with other people. Because we are not at the center of our lives, because everything that I think and say and do is not revolving around what I need, it's revolving around what God wants, that gives me the freedom to move out and to love other people the way that we should. You see, there's a reason why Jesus said, love God and then love others. It is only in loving God fully and completely and putting him at the center of my life that I have any hope of loving others properly. When I know and I'm confident that he loves me and I'm making those choices, then I can focus on other people. So love God and secondly, love others. So how do I grow in my consistency and my understanding of loving other people? Now, I'm not going to give you all kinds of specifics. All right, you should do this and you should do that. You can figure that out. I mean, basically, friends, just help other people. Look for the areas they're struggling, look for their needs, and ask God what you can do to step in there. But what I do want to do is just give you a couple of principles that I think will be helpful for you. But before we do that, let's check in again with our graphic, okay? Do you remember it? Head, heart, home, church, community. So head and heart, that's the love God part. That's where the first two are. That's where it starts. Now, let me just pause and say this right here. And, and if you don't remember anything else that I say today, remember this, okay? Key in on this. If you look at your life and you say, I have a loving others problem, then you have a loving God problem, okay? If you have a loving others problem, if you, there are people in your life who say, I, I can't care for that person, I can't love them, I can't serve them, I can't meet their need, then you have a loving God problem. That must come first, head, heart. I know the truth about God, and then I grasp and trust the truth about God. And then I move out, I act on it, and we start at home, and then we serve our church, and we care for our community. So just a couple of quick principles. First of all, if you're going to love others, be empathetic. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. I'm going to do a little uh, grammar test here. Do you know the difference between sympathy and empathy? Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone, and that's a good thing. But empathy is putting yourself in their place so that you can feel what they feel. Now, it's not wrong to be sympathetic. We should be. But I want to challenge you to go further than that. 
be empathetic. Don't just feel sorry for someone who is near you, who is, who is hurting or struggling. I want you to put yourself in their shoes so that you can feel what they feel so that you can walk with them in their grief. Now, it's interesting to me that when Paul says this verse in Romans chapter 12, that he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Uh, sometimes, interestingly enough, it's easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Sometimes it's difficult if your life is not going well or you're struggling and someone else is rejoicing, sometimes it's hard to rejoice and truly be happy for them, but that's what it means to be empathetic. If we're going to love other people, we need to feel what they feel, and I want to challenge you to do that. The second principle I want to share with you, uh, not only be empathetic, but here's number two, be selfless. Over in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Simply put, put other people first. Uh, make their needs more important than yours. Back in Matthew 22, what did Jesus say? He said, love your neighbor as yourself. We love ourselves. <laughs> we take care of ourselves. We make sure that we have what we need. And, and if we do that in a healthy way, that's good. And Paul says, you need to put others' needs just before your own. It's not saying ignore your needs. It's not saying starve to death because other people need food. Take care of yourself, of course, but put the needs of other people just slightly ahead of yours. Look to what they are going through. Don't be concerned about the recognition that you're getting or the things that you need. Think about what someone else needs. Be selfless. So be empathetic, be selfless. And here's the third one, be generous. The very next verse in Philippians chapter 2 says, let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Be generous. Now, here's a little thought for you. Um, Self-centeredness breeds competitiveness. Um, I don't come from a game-playing family. I'm not a big board game guy. I know how to play them. I can play them, but it's not my favorite thing to do. Now, Melody, on the other hand, her family loves board games. They, they just play them all the time. Whenever a bunch of them get together, a game breaks out at some point. And so sometimes we play games at home. Um, Melody and I have learned something. We are both incredibly competitive. I thought I was competitive, and then we got together, and while wow, Melody's competitive too. I'm not going to say she's more than me, but we're both uh, pretty competitive. We play a board game together. I mean, sometimes we're like, okay, we need, to, we need to back it down here a little bit. Self-centeredness breeds competitiveness. Why do I get competitive when I play a silly board game with my wife, who I love with all my heart? Well, it's because I want to win. I want to win. It's the self-centeredness that breeds that competitiveness. Now, God-centeredness breeds humility. And that's what Paul is talking about in this verse. We can be generous if we are God-centered because we're humble rather than competitive. Uh, again, we need to care for ourselves. He said, look not only on your own interests, but others, but elevate those needs that others have and be generous to those that are around you. Friends, do not press pause on your growth. 
Don't stop. You must always be growing in your understanding and your consistency of loving God and loving others. This is God's call on your life. This is what he desires from you and from me. Even in this time, even when everything around us is strange, even when it's different, even when there's so many things that we typically do that we simply cannot do, we cannot press pause on our growth. Let me draw your attention one more time to our graphic. Head, heart, home, church, community. Learn, listen, grow, understand. Let that truth, as you love God, let that truth migrate to your heart so that you start to grasp it, so that you start to trust it, and then act on it by loving others. And I want to challenge you this morning to start in your home. Now, I know that we have some folks out there that live alone, and so obviously this is different for you. But for everyone else that lives every day with other people, you have to do this at home first. You have to be empathetic. You have to be selfless. You have to be generous at home. Now, husbands, can I just take this moment to talk to you for a second? If your wife is not the most important person in your world, if you are not sacrificing for her on a daily basis, if you are not caring for her needs, first of all, if you are not making sure that you are putting yourself in her place to understand what she is dealing with, then you are being disobedient to Scripture. This is what God calls us to do. And we can't shortcut this. We can't say, well, I'm, I'm active at church or I'm active in the community. It has to start at home. It has to be here first. And then we can move out into these other areas. Now, folks, I get it. This has been a crisis. This has been difficult. And wherever you land on what's happening and what you believe has happened or hasn't or what should happen now or shouldn't happen now, it's been tough. It's been strange. But how is your relationship with Christ? Keep going. Keep growing. Crisis causes us to doubt. But Christ brings security. Crisis causes us to panic. But Christ brings peace. Crisis causes us to be selfish, but God calls us to serve others. And crisis ends in death, but Christ gives us hope. And Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was the ultimate expression of selfless love, love for the Father and love for others, which was us. We're going to celebrate communion today. And we're going to ask uh, God to help us to remember the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross for us. I want to challenge you this morning, uh, if you have the elements for communion there with you, the bread and the cup, to as a family, give thanks for what Christ has done for us. Remember that sacrifice, but I want you to look ahead and hope as well. The scripture tells us that the bread is a symbol of his body and the cup is a symbol of his blood that was shed. I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing. 
Chris and Melody are going to come and lead us in a song. And when you're ready, go ahead and eat and drink. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And may we remember today all that we have in him as we look forward in hope. In Christ's name.